Welcome to the Church at the Springs podcast. The Springs exist to lead our generation to God and connect people to a community of Christ followers who change their world. To learn more about us, visit thesprings.net. We hope you enjoy the message. Hello, my name is Ron Sylvia. I got a little dark and a little more swag. Okay, not quite. My name is Ricky Brown, and I'm so excited to be here uh, to open God's Word with you. And I just feel at home. If you've, if you've been in the room when I have had the privilege of preaching here at Church of the Springs, just wave your hands. And Okay, all right, all right. So, so y'all not going to get Chicago, Ricky. Y'all going to get Mississippi, Ricky, okay? Because I feel like I am at uh, home. Uh, I am excited to have my lovely, illustrious, beautiful, sweet wife in the room for a change, Amber Brown. Y'all just welcome her. That's so nice of you guys. Thank you. So um, when we were making our arrangements to come here, uh, everything was like ridiculously expensive like way more than it normally is to come to Florida. Like the plane tickets were outrageous. All of the rental cars were gone. And when we got to the counter, uh, they told me, thank God you got here early because we almost gave away the last car. And I was like, no, I have a reservation. They were like, no, we almost gave your car away, reservation or not. And everything was so costly and expensive. And I found out that the Daytona 500 is here right now. So all these people from around the world have descended upon your beautiful state to gobble up all your resources. And I thought about that in the context of this series about love and relationships. Sometimes the cost of loving people seems so high. And the reason is because it's for everyone. It's not just for those who love us back. It's not just for the people that we like. If it wasn't for everyone, then maybe it wouldn't feel so costly. But it is for everyone. And so sometimes we feel like relationships, man, I wish they came with an instruction manual. Well, they do. And it's in the word of God. So I'm just going to bow my head for a quick word of prayer, and we're going to dive right in. Can you say amen? amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you breathe your breath of life on this message? May someone be transformed forever as a result of hearing your word. God has always lift every burden, loose every chain, bind every evil spirit and destroy every yoke. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, would you get glory in this place. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. amen. Have you ever tried to put a piece of furniture together that you bought and it ended up being harder than you expected? Like the worst decision that you can make every time. That's right. Help me preach it this morning. Like the worst decision you can make is running to a store at 10 a.m. because a game is coming on at 1 or 2 p.m. And you're like, I'm just going to put this entertainment center together before the game. And then three days later, <laughs> once you got done, you realize like that was a horrible idea. Well, for some reason, instructions to put together furniture sometimes come with pictures with no words. I don't know who thought of this genius idea, but it's, it's pictures with no words. They, they show you what the end result should look like, and then they show you pictures of the transformation along the way, 
But sometimes the level of detail in the picture isn't enough for us to feel confident that we could actually complete the assembly. I've been there before. Have you been there before in your relationships where you feel like, Lord, I just need a greater level of detail. I need a greater level of detail in my marriage because my spouse did not come with an instruction book. I need a greater level of detail in my house because my teenagers are teenaging. I need a greater level of detail in my job because I'm pretty sure my boss needs some therapeutic help. Can you say amen? I need a greater level of detail with, with my business partners because it, it's hard to get things done sometimes. Or I need a greater level of detail dealing with my church members and serving alongside those in the household of faith. Now, if that person is here, don't point at them. Just look straight ahead. Won't nobody know but me and you. I found myself asking, after trying to put together a piece of furniture, why didn't I just pay more money for that white glove service? Well, all you do is go and swipe the transaction and stand in your house and point where you want the piece of furniture's furniture to go. You know, when you really don't feel like it, you understand that, man, I wish I didn't have to do anything but just pay the transaction. You see, what I'm describing to you is sort of kind of something that's really transactional. The love of God that he wants us to display to each other isn't transactional, it's transformational. I've been there in the middle of putting something together and sweat is popping out of my forehead and my fingers are red from using tools that they gave you that are too small for human hands and I'm twisting and twisting and twisting and like, why don't they, this was expensive, why don't they at least give you the proper size tools. And in that moment where my frustration is high, I wish that I had gone for something transactional and not something so transformational. But I thank God that he gives us better instructions than Ikea. Can you say amen? amen. We get to use his words, but he transforms us into his picture of love. We get to use his words, but he transforms us into his picture of love. You see, building a relationship without the right tools is frustrating. Building a relationship without the right tools is downright bewildering. Here's the reason why, because the love of God is transformational, not transactional. So because of this, there is some assembly required. We just have to follow his instructions. And I believe there's some great instructions for us found in John chapter 13. It says, little children, I'm with you for a little while longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. Now there's some peculiar language right off the bat in this passage of scripture. Jesus uses this phrase, little children. 
And this is actually the only time that he does like this in the Bible. This passage reminds me of when I was a little child and my parents were getting ready to walk out of the door to go to work. They would always give us two things before they walked out of the door, tasks and instructions. The task would be simple, like clean your room or clean up the den. Yes, we needed to receive those tasks every single day because we made them junky every single day. Or the instructions would normally be something like, don't fight, don't argue, love each other. One of the things that I learned really quick while I was growing up in my house is this. If we had a good day and we didn't argue and we didn't fight, the work got done. If we had a bad day when we spent the entire day arguing and fighting, the work seemed to not get done. In the preceding verse, Jesus has just finished washing his disciples' feet, which is a great act of service and love. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows that he's about to leave and he's sharing with them something that's very important. Here's why. Because the truth of a child's character is never seen when their parents are in the same room with them. The truth of a child's character is seen when the parents are away. If you ever wanted to judge my character as a child or whether or not I should get a pizza party or whether or not I should get ice cream, don't look at me when my dad is in the room. No, you need to see how I act and how I behave when they are away. You see, the disciples, they are used to having the tangible and physical presence of Jesus. They're used to hearing his voice. They are used to touching him. But the disciples are about to experience what it's like to look around for Jesus and he's not physically there. You see, obedience is going to be harder for them without his physical presence and without the volume of his voice. And this is the reason I believe he makes this, this, this phrase, little children, so prominent in this passage. This is why I believe he makes it so simple, easy enough for a child to understand. Simply this, love one another. Not just the emotive kind of love that you show towards someone that you're physically attracted to, but, but truly, sincerely love one another, not just the kind of transactional love that's always looking for reciprocity, always looking for something in return, but love one another the way that Jesus loves. Now, Jesus says that he's giving them a new command, and this is something else that causes my Bible reading antennas to go up because he talks about love uh, in the Old Testament. Why is he saying that he's giving them a new command? Because in the Old Testament, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that seems pretty good, but if we're honest, some of us, have never had love displayed to us in the God kind of love. And so the way that we love ourselves is inefficient. The way that we view ourselves is ineffective. And so he's saying that, that, that yes, in the Old Testament, I told you to love your neighbor as yourself, but we had not yet seen Jesus demonstrate the God kind of love in person. 
What I mean is Jesus had not yet stepped out of eternity into time. He hadn't yet clothed his divinity in our humanity. Jesus hadn't had compassion yet on a sea of people who were hungry. And he hadn't yet uh, performed a great miracle with fish and bread. In the Old Testament, we don't get to see Jesus love his enemies. We don't get to see Jesus pray for those who hate him like we do in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we don't get to see Jesus die a death that he didn't deserve for both people who would receive him and for those who would reject him. You see, now that we have Jesus as our example, he's saying, listen, I'm giving you a new command. Here's the new command. Don't, don't love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love your neighbor like Jesus loves. You see, the standard of comparison is the love of Jesus because the love of Jesus is the very evidence that we belong to Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're saying, listen, I found myself in a place in my life where I just need a greater detail. Uh, the, the, I got the picture, but I don't have the words. I'm in a place in my life where or at work or in church or in ministry, or in my marriage or dealing with my children, in, in every single area of my relationships, I need a greater detail in my life. I believe that the Bible has some instructions for us this morning. And so with that, I want to share with you four ways to love like Jesus. Way number one, make understanding a priority. Make understanding a priority. Let me say it like this. You never really know someone until you live with them. Can you say amen? amen. I'll never forget, you know, when I got married, and I walked into the bathroom and the bath mat was wet. And I was like, why is this mat wet? And I thought about it because another human lives here, that's why. It has every right to be wet, it's a bath mat. That was one of my hangups about getting married. We didn't get married till we were 35. Y'all, that's a long time to be self-centered and single. You don't have to consider anybody else when, you get, when you're single. You don't have to think about the temperature of the thermostat when you get single. Every husband, don't roll your eyes at your wife. Just look straight ahead. You don't have to think about, about any of that stuff, what size the comforter is or, or how the mattress is. You don't think about any of that stuff when you're single because we get to be self-centered when we're single. And one of the things that I thought about when I, when I was single was like, man, when I get married, what will this other person's habits be? What will their proclivities be? Thank God that I have all the weird things and she doesn't really have any. But Jesus lived with his disciples. Jesus lived with his disciples. So he knew them. You see, everyone in life desires to be loved and the second greatest need is to be understood. I guarantee you, either to your left or your right, there's somebody in this auditorium that wishes they were understood. What if we were to take the time to understand the people in our lives the way that Jesus understood, understands us? I want you to know something today. Jesus sees us. And the love he shows us is not as we appear to be, but he loves us as we are. I wonder what would it look like today for us to love each other in a way 
that we would actually listen to one another and not listen in a way that puts our response already in cue. I wonder what would it look like today to lament with those who lament, to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Instead of being in a position where uh, that's on the other side of town, uh, that's in that city, those are, are those people. I am me and they are them. I wonder what would it look like today for us to prioritize understanding. The second way we can love like Jesus don't expect reciprocity. All that means is love people without looking for something in return. You see, for no benefit of his own, Jesus stepped out of eternity into time. He left glory to come down here to earth and deal with puny, insignificant man. It was for no benefit of his own that he had compassion on those that he ministered to. You see, Jesus loved in a way that he knew would never be completely reciprocated. I think about this in the context of preparing a meal. How many of us would slave over a hot stove and prepare a scrumptious meal, a Thanksgiving style meal, not knowing or even knowing that some people are gonna receive it while others reject it? We tend to not inconvenience ourselves in that way, but Jesus loved in a way that he knew would never be completely reciprocated. And that's what it means to love selflessly. What if we were to love selflessly today? Never thinking of what we will get in return. You see, Jesus never thought of himself. His only desire was to give himself for those that he loved. Selfless love doesn't mean that you have to think less of yourself. It does mean that you'll think of yourself less. You see, loving without reciprocity, without expecting reciprocity means that I'm going to give to people that will never have the capacity to return it. I'm going to love people and even maybe even give forgiveness to people that will never have the emotional or spiritual capacity to give it back to me. He loved without expecting reciprocity. The third way that you can love like Jesus is simply this, give sacrificially. Jesus has a no limit kind of love. He gave his very life and he did it in the name of love. But we often think that the purpose of love is to bring us happiness. That's the way that we view relationships. What can I get out of the relationship? But see, sacrificial love may actually bring us to bear the cross of Christ so that others can one day wear a crown. Sacrificial love may cause us to be burdened. It may cause us to, to wear the cross of Christ so that others can one day wear a crown. I wonder what would it look like for us to love sacrificially today? You know, I think about our dining room table. It has eight chairs. I have no idea why it has eight chairs. It just came with eight chairs. And so we put eight chairs around the table. But for the most of the time, six of them are empty. Have y'all seen the price of eggs? <laughs> I wonder what would it look like for my wife and I to love sacrificially and to invite people into those other six chairs. Church of the Springs, I wanna challenge you today. 
If you've got empty seats in your dining room uh, table or you've got empty seats in your car, I wonder what would it look like in the next month for you to intentionally add a mile or two to your commute to church and fill the seats, the chairs in your car or the seats at your table. I wonder what would it look like for us to love sacrificially if you made that a priority and a goal in the next month. I'm telling you, it would transform this church and it would transform the community. Lastly, the fourth way that we can love like Jesus, oh, is to forgive repeatedly. I know, he should have put that one first so I could have forgotten it by now. <laughs> Y'all, let's be honest, this Word forgive is like an ugly, vulgar, profane curse word in some settings. Because if there's anything that we want the preacher to say, it's not forgive. <laughs> we read these words in the Bible and we wish that they would just vanish and disappear like some of these apps y'all got on your phones. I went from preaching to meddling, didn't I? You see, Jesus would experience what it's like to be forsaken in his time of need. He had his boys with him. He's about to be offered up. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He says, listen, can y'all pray with me? And, they, and he goes and he prays and then they, he comes back and they're asleep. And then he says, listen, can y'all please pray with me and for me? I'm sort of kind of about to take on the sins of the world here. And then he goes and he prays and he comes back and they are asleep again. And I just love the character and love of Jesus. He, did, he never like snaps at them. He's never like ugly at them. He's, he's never like, he didn't cut them off. He doesn't invent council culture. He's long suffering with them. His, his disciples absolutely worked his patience. I mean, can't you imagine being Jesus? You're turning water into wine. You're throwing uh, parties with fish sandwiches and all of this kind of stuff. You're walking on water and they're constantly asking him, who are you again? When is your kingdom coming? Can you prove yourself again? Can you give us another sign? But even though they are slow to learn, even though they are constantly doubting him, Jesus never withholds his forgiveness. Jesus never held a grudge against them. And one of them got cute in Matthew 18 and 22. He decided to put a number to it. Peter says, hey, you know what? I think seven times is good. And Jesus said, no, not just seven times, but rather as many as 70 times seven. Can I say to you guys this morning that if you're in a place in your heart where you have a number in mind, God is speaking to you this morning. If your theology is as simple as do me wrong once, shame on you. Do me wrong twice, shame on me. Now, this isn't the Bible saying be a, a, a mat for people to abuse. This isn't the Bible saying uh, uh, be taken advantage of. But, but sometimes in our lives, we have at least one person in our mind saying, they've hit their seventh time. I'm not forgiving this person again. And he gets cute and he says, uh, how many times should we forgive somebody? You know what, don't answer that question, it's rhetorical. Seven times, that sounds like a good number. The very fact that I get a number in my head and in my heart lets me know that God is speaking to me through the volume of his word. You see, when forgiveness ceases, so does the grace that comes with it. Here's what I mean by that. 
There's a book written called The Bait of Satan that in it he simply argues that when the root of offense takes root in our heart, then we will love and interact and speak to people out of offense. You'll, you'll deal with your spouse out of the spirit of offense. You will, you will, I've even heard some preachers preach out of offense. You'll sing out of offense. You will serve in your church out of offense. The worst thing that a believer can do is allow their heart to become offended. And this is why we have to forgive the repeat offenders in our lives. How might God be using you to display a transformational love to show the world, to show your coworkers, maybe to show your family members what it looks like to forgive the repeat offenders in your life? You see, it's important to understand in this passage of scripture that in this particular instance, Jesus is not saying love the world. Jesus is speaking to his children and he's saying, I want you all to love one another. Because if you don't understand the love of God, you can't possibly do the work of God. In other words, it's the love that I freely receive from God that I freely give. The understanding that I receive from God is the understanding that I give to other people. The forgiveness that I receive from God is the forgiveness that I give to other people. My brothers and my sisters, we can't be the blood-bought believers of Christ, the Christians, family of God, and we're fighting each other based off skin color or voting preferences or whatever it is, or people that don't look like you, vote like you, smell like you. We have to display love toward each other first and then the world sees us. That's transformational and that's an irresistible community that everyone wants to be a part of. I wanna leave you with a story that really, it challenged me, it cut me, but it really blessed me. Uh, there was a pastor, her and, and her husband, he was a lead planter of uh, this large church in, in Orlando, just south of here. And I heard her begin her story by saying this, we need to kill networking in the body of Christ. And I thought to myself, what? No. We need to work together as much as possible. But then she began to tell her story. And here's her story. She said someone called her, another Christian and say, hey, listen, I've been thinking about you. You've been on my heart, you've been on my mind, and I wanna connect with you. Have you ever got one of those Christian calls? Somebody who wants to connect with you? And she says, oh man, well, thank you so much. And the lady said that she cleared her entire calendar. She moved everything out of the way and she wanted to be present at this lunch meeting because she said her heart was touched that somebody said that they wanted to connect with her, that, that they had been praying for her and that they had been on, uh, she had been on their heart. When she arrived at this lunch meeting, she noticed that the lady had her husband with her and they, they led her church together as well. Then the lady immediately told her, the person who received the invitation, hey, where's your husband? And she was like, I I'm sorry, I, I thought you wanted to meet with me. I thought you wanted to connect with me. Y'all, for the next hour and a half, she peppered her with questions on how she could grow her church. In an hour and a half, she never once asked her how she was doing. 
And I was so convicted for that because I've been there, y'all. I've been that person before. Maybe you're honest with yourself that you've, you know what networking is? It's just working your net to get what you can get out of a relationship. I wonder, see, that's transactional. That's not transformational. I got another challenge for you today. In addition to filling up the seats in your car, in addition to filling up the chairs at your dining room table, what would it look like for you to schedule that coffee meeting? And what would it look like for you to schedule that lunch meeting with someone that God places on your heart and never once ask them how you can grow your business? Never once ask them to introduce you to that single fellow that sits on the other side of the church. Never once ask them for anything that could benefit you, but simply say, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? That is transformational. That's not transactional. As you close your eyes and you bow your heads, I want to invite every single one of us into a time of prayer this morning. Y'all, I was convicted when she said that that has been me. The preacher has made that mistake. I want to ask you today, how will this message impact how you live as a result of hearing it? I want to intercede for somebody today that will say, you know what? I got three empty seats in my car. I'm going to try my best to fill those seats up every once in a while. I've got six empty chairs at my dining room table. I want to do my best to to fill those other chairs up in the next month. I've got someone that God is putting in my vision and in my mind right now. I need to, if nothing else, place a phone call to simply say, How are you doing? How can I pray for you? You may have heard this message this morning. You're saying to yourself, listen, uh, uh, I want to experience the love of God in my relationships. Where you, you can't experience the love of God in your relationships if you don't have a relationship with the God of love. If that's you, you're saying, listen, I, I don't have a relationship. I want a relationship with Jesus. It's as simple as, sorry, thank you, please. Lord, I'm sorry for the sins that I've done. Thank you for dying in my place on your cross. Now, please be Lord over my life all the days of my life. I'm not looking for a transaction. Jesus, I'm looking for transformation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the area, join us on Sundays. For times and locations, visit thesprings.net. And again, thank you for listening to the Church at the Springs podcast.